0: If you make leisure a condition of work, if you make joy a condition of work, then you're always going to have to work to deserve or earn it. It's never going to be enough. And so that's why we get to the end of our to do list and we think, did I do enough? Did I do enough to deserve joy? Or did I work out enough to earn that Sunday? Or did I, you know, we're constantly making our joy conditional. And I think if there's one thing that I hope people take away from this is that um, your joy should not be conditional on anything, it isn't conditional. It's conditional on you being a human being who is alive and breathing today. You deserve joy. You're entitled to joy. It is not a luxury. You're entitled to, to find it and create it and make it for others.
1: I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love. You are love. We are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace, to help you come from a place of love more often, to help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others, to help you create more happiness in your life, to help you feel more oneness with others, and to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one, and it's time we start acting that way. I am so so grateful that you're here. I love you. I support you and I'm here for you. Let's together create more love in this world. Let's do this. Ingrid Fatel Lee is a joy seeker, designer, and author. She's on a mission to help you create a more joyful life through design. She will guide you to find more joy that already exists all around you and also teach you how to create joy. Ingrid gave a brilliant TED Talk called, Where Joy Hides and How to Find It. I highly recommend checking it out. In her book, Joyful, she shares all you need to know in order to create external environments that give rise to inner joy. She views joy from a perspective that I don't think most of us do, at least not consciously, and busts the doors wide open on how our physical environment has the ability to create massive joy. All right, well, I'd love to welcome Ingrid Fattel-Lee to the podcast. Thank you for being here.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yes, a joy advocate. It's really exciting (laughs) to talk to somebody who revolves their life around joy. Um, it's true. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> what, Ingrid, it's like so inspirational too. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to say trying, I'm removing that from my vocabulary, but I am working to revolve my life around love every single day. Uh, and someone like you who has fully, fully done it with joy is just really inspirational. And I think it's, I mean, amazing for me and anyone listening to that, how much we can create, how beautiful our lives can be. And it doesn't have to You know, our career doesn't have to be focused around what we've always thought it had to be, you know, these sort of mundane or whatever uh, these titles uh, or careers are. We can create beauty and we can create a career through joy. It's just amazing to see.
0: I mean, if you had told me when I was eight years old that I was going to specialize in joy... As an adult, and that was going to be my career, that I study joy and I try to show people how to create it. I would have said that's not a job. (laughs) (laughs) So it is true. It's amazing. Um, And I wish more people knew that these kinds of paths exist in life.
1: And that's why conversations like this I feel like are just so important because this right now, someone listening to this is going to completely create a paradigm shift. It's going to open their mind uh, onto a new path that they never even knew existed before, which is so cool. Um, and I want to ask you, Inger, right off the bat, what in life brings you joy?
0: My goodness. I mean, so many things. And I think that is, I never realized that that is what was happening to me when I was younger, that I just am someone who I love getting out of bed in the morning. I mean, not always at like 5.30 a.m. when my two-year-old wakes up, but like mm-hmm. most of the time, I'm pretty happy to get out of bed in the morning. I'm enchanted by nature, uh, by stars, by clouds, by waves, by flowers. Um, I'm amazed by art. I'm amazed by people. I'm fascinated by people. A lot of my background is studying people, interviewing people, trying to understand what they need, what motivates them. So I think I just look out at the world and I'm, I feel so lucky to just get to explore it, get to be alive on this planet. And I think that I never realized that that was finding joy. That was, you know, what I talk about now, which is finding joy in the world around you. I didn't know that that was a thing. I just thought, oh, I'm this person who just, you know, is is curious and interested in the world. But I didn't realize that I could actually sort of notice those moments and those experiences and really turn those into joy for myself.
1: So amazing. Uh, During your TED talk, you had talked about um, that, you know, joy is kind of hiding all around us in, in plain sight. And I thought it was really cool that you had talked about that. Once you really started to look for it more and actually noticed it was there, you realized it was just all around you all the time. And I think stuff like that is just like, I'm a big fan of gratitude and I feel the same exact way about gratitude. It's like everything, the more you actually focus and look for it, it's always been there. Yeah. It's just going to start to show up and you're going to actually start to see it more.
0: Yes. Yes. I And I I often talk about that as a practice that you can do called joy spotting to sort of hone your ability to notice joy around you. And you might, you know, go for a walk uh, A lot of people do it while they're walking their dog or while they're taking their kid to school, you go for a walk and you just start to notice what gives you that feeling of joy in your body. What gives you that feeling of lightness or that kind of giddy excitement? What do you notice that does that? And then you can start to notice that more often. You can start to notice patterns in your joy, colors you love or um, sensations that really make you feel good.
1: Yeah, so great. It's just, just being more, it's like just being more mindful. As you are walking around, as you're sitting there in everyday life and really honing in and putting your focus on the things that give you joy, which is so beautiful that it's our choice to do that, right? Right. We can literally choose right now, okay, what in this room am I? And there's so many things, but I'm like, what in my room right now is bringing me joy? You know what I mean? But we have to kind of ask ourselves that question and bring our awareness to it in order to actually experience that on a daily basis. And I just love that you're talking about that. To letting people know that it is really all around you, but it has to be up to us to mindfully think and deliberately choose to seek out, find the joy that's always that's always been there,
0: right. right. Yes. And I think what makes it a little bit different from traditional mindfulness practices is that, in a lot of mindfulness, you're really trying to notice everything. You're trying to notice everything that's going through your mind. You're trying to uh, notice everything. And I think sometimes that can be a little bit overwhelming because sometimes when you do that, when you tune in, you find things you're not so happy to see. Um, and that's really important to do as well. Um, but I think what, you know, especially given how difficult times are right now, it's, I think it's helpful to have a practice that's specifically focused on joy. That's basically saying, you know what, I I'm going to tune in and I'm going to laser focus on the things that lift me up, that give me that feeling of buoyancy and build that connection, not just notice everything, but actually start to notice the, the inner and outer, right? Um, or I did that backwards, but um, the outer and the inner, the things that you notice around you and then what feeling that creates. And then, then what does that make you want to do? Do you want to move toward it? Do you want to go look at it closer? Do you want to smell it? Do you want to do you wish you could take it home? Right. Um, Those feelings I think are, are indicative of, of what you want to move towards in life. And so much right now is about moving away. It's about frustration and anger and fear and anxiety. And so noticing the things that we want to move toward, I think can be a really helpful um, counterbalance for everything that we're feeling in the rest of our lives.
1: Yes. And Ingrid, how did you get started on this path of joy? And if you could just give everybody, because joy can mean a bunch of different things, right? But we're kind of talking about something more specific uh, in terms of joy. So if you can just let people kind of know how you got started on this path, uh, and then your perspective on joy, which is what you are getting out to the world.
0: Yes. Okay. So it was totally by accident. I'm a designer by background. I was in um, in grad school for industrial design. I was in my first year and I was at the, my first year end review. And I was at, at this review where I had the, a panel of professors critiquing my work. And one of the professors said, your work gives me a feeling of joy. And I thought, well, that's super weird because I had always thought of joy as this very ephemeral, fleeting, evanescent feeling. It's not something you can see or touch. And so I said, okay, well, how does that happen? How do things create this intangible feeling of joy? And the professors on the panel couldn't answer the question. They did a lot of waving around with their hands. They said, well, it's just intuitive. And that really wasn't good enough for me. I needed a scientific answer. How does looking at a chair or a piece of art or something that Feels good to you. Why does that feel good? What's happening in your brain? So I wanted to understand that, and that um, that journey has been more than ten years long um, to try to understand what is that connection between the physical world and our emotional world within us, and particularly this this feeling of joy. How do things around us influence our emotions and well being, and help us create a, a more joyful life? Um, so. What joy is. When we're talking about joy, I think uh, joy, we use the words joy and happiness often interchangeably. Um, And so it can be hard to know what we're talking about there, but scientifically, they actually mean two different things. So for psychologists, happiness is a broad evaluation of how we feel over time. It has to do with whether you have a sense of meaning and purpose in your life, whether you feel connected to other people, how you feel about your health or your work, all of those things add up to this kind of complex equation that we call happiness. And sometimes I think it can be challenging to know in a given moment, how happy we are. It can be a bit vague, right? Because one part of your life is going great. And then like, maybe you just fell in love but we're also in the middle of this crazy pandemic, right? And then Mm. your boss is on your back about something and you're like, am I happy? I don't really know because it's so hard for all those things to line up at the same time. And so it can be very confusing and I think we have this idea that we are pursuing happiness. That can be very confusing. Joy is much simpler and more immediate. So when psychologists use the word joy, they mean an intense momentary experience of positive emotion. And that's something that uh, we can measure through things like smiling and laughter and a feeling of wanting to jump up and down. That's actually one of the ways that they measure joy in a lab is this feeling of wanting to jump up and down. So there are all these different measures of that are physiological, right, as opposed to Cognitive as opposed to reflective. And I think that's where we often get stuck is we spend so much time thinking about, you know, am I happy? Am I not? And we miss these little moments of joy that are happening day in and day out.
1: I like that the most about that, that joy is in the present, it's right now. And I feel like your happiness and joy can get very, very confused, right? Because it kind of means. Everyone has their own perspective. So joy can mean one thing to you. It can mean different thing to me. Happiness, the same thing. But overall, I think we do have like these kind of ideas collectively that we agree on with those. And when you think about it, it's so right. It's like happiness is really overall. Like, how am I feeling kind of just overall with everything that's going on? And joy is literally right now. Like, did this bring me joy now? Am I feeling joy now? Now? And I'm a big fan of living in the present and living in the now. And I just, I, I appreciate so much that joy really is that feeling that is here and now in in the thing that we're experiencing and what you've kind of opened our minds to. And I think the world to this newer perspective on joy. Cause I've had people on the podcast who are like joy advocates as well. And it's totally different ways that they're bringing joy out into the world. And I've never really thought about it in kind of the things that are all around us, the color, things that are symmetrical, um, I've always known it's brought me joy. Like when I see anything purple, it literally brings me joy. When I see uh, a bunch of different colored balloons, there's like that instant that you kind of want to, like you said, you kind of want to jump up and down. You feel lighter. It's that moment of joy. And I think it's something that everyone's experienced, but no one that I know of has really, uh, no one's really dived as deep as you have into this and really understanding why we are feeling these certain ways in these moments. Right. And I want to ask you too, right? Because I I watched the TED talk uh, that you did, which was incredible. It was. Thank you. uh, Of course, it was like 13 or 14 minutes and so compact. It was so beautifully articulated. Yeah. (laughs) The
0: thing that most people don't know about that TED talk is that I got asked to speak at TED a month before that talk. So I only had three weeks to prepare yeah. <laughs> and it was the craziest, craziest thing of my life. Um, and I was the last person to speak that year. And so I fortunately had the whole week to prepare. Um, but, um, but yeah, condensing it into 13 minutes was, was a challenge for me. Cause I, I often, um, I like to think in all the nuances and all the complexities. And so I had a lot of help. I had a lot of great people supporting me and sort of getting that down to something that would be easy for people to understand.
1: (laughs) Well, it was great. It didn't seem like it was rushed or done in the last month or anything like that, too. It was was really eye-opening just to look at, of course... Um, yeah, just to really look at joy in this different way. Really, joy for me has always been an experience or a loved one, or spending time with them. Um, but it really is so true. When I'm in a colorful environment, I feel joy. I feel happiness. I feel uplifted. Um, there's just something about color and pops of color, too, especially that do bring us so much joy. So, why? why are these pops of color? Why are these um, things that are more symmetrical? Why are those causes of some of our joy?
0: Okay. So after that review that I, you know, I started all of this because I was at this review, they said, your work gives me feeling joy. I said, okay, well, I need to understand what brings people joy. So I started asking people about the things and places that brought them joy. And I started gathering all those examples and putting them on my studio wall. And every day I would look at it and try to make sense of all these different things, bubbles, balloons, confetti, Um kites things that float and fly um i had you know pictures of celebrations and parades and i was just looking at all of these joyful things and saying what what are the common elements here and then one day something clicked and i was able to start to see these physical patterns right uh-huh. bright colors a really important example. Um, I mentioned things that float and fly, a sense of abundance and multiplicity. So like confetti, polka dots, stripes, when you multiply something, that often creates a feeling of joy. Um, Also symmetrical, you mentioned symmetrical shapes, repeating patterns. We love to have patterns around us. Um, We love to have... um, you know, finding like the perfectly symmetrical seashell on the beach is always really joyful or perfectly symmetrical rock. We always get a burst of joy from that. Um, And of course the ancients like to build very symmetrical buildings, those bring a lot of joy. So there are certain elements and I, altogether I found 10 of them, which I call the aesthetics of joy. Um, And basically these are sensory patterns. There's sensorial qualities that uh, we can look for in the world around us that reliably predict joy. And when I started to try to understand why these things, why bright color, why why patterns, why uh, abundance, it turns out that all of them have some kind of connection to our evolutionary history. They were all things that were... In the environment where ancestors evolved over many, many thousands of generations that predicted safety, they predicted survival. Um, Mm -hmm. So another one is round shapes, for example. And so it makes perfect sense that we are attracted to round shapes because round shapes are safe. Um, And they've actually found, neuroscientists have actually found that uh, when you look, when you put people into fMRI machines and you look at their brains um, as they're looking at sharp angles and round shapes. Um, They find that a part of the brain called the amygdala associated with fear and anxiety, that part of the brain lights up when we look at sharp angles, but not when we look at curves. Um, So in, in a sense, some unconscious, some very deep evolutionary part of us goes on high alert when we see angles, but not when we see curves. We're, we're naturally at ease. That's why we find curved shapes so playful, so easy to be around, um, and so joyful. Balloons, bubbles, balls, Ferris wheels, all so many things, so many of the things of childhood are around, right? Um, and those things bring us
1: joy. I, right. It's like the, the circular, the curve just makes me feel safe. Yes like there's no impending, I don't know, you you know, when you think about it a little bit deeper, that's where it is. It just makes me feel safe.
0: And so much, I think of, of feeling joy is about feeling safe on some Mm. level, right? We Mm. feel safe and therefore we feel free to be joyful, to express our joy um, and to, to, to play. I mean, to, to sort of involve ourselves in something as opposed to feeling like we have to step back. And that's it's not to say that you don't sometimes want to use angles in your design because maybe you want an exciting environment that feels, you know, brings out more adrenaline and, and keeps you, you know, more on edge. But for joy, joy is definitely an emotion that, um, you know, soft shapes, curves, bubbly forms, um, are wiggles and squiggles and waves and scallops. All of those things are often associated with joy.
1: You got me thinking too how you mentioned that like right Ferris wheel balloons all things that kind of go back to when we were kids. And that just makes me think, you know, as kids I feel like in so many circumstances like we have it right in the sense that we're a little simpler. You know what I mean? Like we're it's easier for us to find joy and kindness and love. I feel like at a younger age before the daunting uh, things in society or the world have impacted us and kind of changed the way that we think. But I wonder what that connection is like too, realizing that a lot of the shapes or a lot of the things that we find joy in as adults actually link back to when we were kids.
0: So what's so interesting about what you're saying is that I think that for a long time, we assumed that we found joy in those things because they were associated with childhood. And so we assumed that it was nostalgia rather than a sort of primal attraction to these things. And so what would happen is if we wanted to try to create a joyful environment, like let's say you have a company and they have an R&D lab and they wanted to create like a, a, a place where people would feel free and play and be creative, they would throw a bunch of beanbag chairs in them and put some bright primary colors in there. And the problem is that when we go that nostalgia route, we don't necessarily tap into the deeper feeling that we're trying to create. Because one of the reasons we have to leave a lot of those things behind when we become adults is because of judgment. We feel judged for our joy because joy is so associated with childhood. Um, and many other things associated with femininity. It's associated with primitiveness. There are all sorts of associations that we have with joy. We feel pressure to leave it behind. We have to get serious. We have to put play aside and focus on work. And we have all these dichotomies. And many of us are judged for the things that we find joy in. We're judged for liking rom-coms or cheesy music or And there are many things that we find, certain hobbies we have as kids, we find joy in those things, but we have to leave them aside. We can't wear as much color to the office, right? Because we have to look serious. We have to look grown up. And so you can create an environment that's all primary colors and and looks nostalgic. It looks like childhood, but it doesn't feel free. It doesn't Uh feel necessarily joyful because we we haven't created the underlying conditions to make it feel safe for adults to be vulnerable, to tap back into their joy?
1: Well, thank you for answering that question. Wow, that was, huh, that's an, that's an interesting way to look at it. Because I, and I can see that now as you just kind of spelt that out, that yes, as when you think about a fair wheel, you think about balloons, or you even think about like colorful packages on your gift wrapping that you get as a gift. It does, it kind of shoots you back towards nostalgia and, and being a child and being a kid and, and kind of, at least for me, when I think about that time, it was freer, right? I was. Was able, I was able to be more joy-filled and not worry about what anybody thought or what anybody said. And you're right, as we get older, we do, we get judged, I feel like, for expressing our true joy.
0: And then we oh. internalize a lot of those judgments. Yeah, and those voices are very protective. Um, I actually have um, done a little project where I gave them names. You know, and each one of them, each one of these killjoys, you know, they manifest in different ways. But like one is the protective pessimist. The protective pessimist tells us that things are, you know, we're constantly thinking, oh. It's going to rain on that. uh, It's going to rain on our barbecue, or that thing's going to get canceled, or it's constantly trying to protect us from disappointment by. You know, putting disappointment out there, or we have an inner critic. The inner critic tells us, "You look silly. Take that off. Don't wear that outside. You know, um what if you run into someone you know? <laughs> um, and And that inner critic is just spinning. And so we have these little voices, these little killjoys in our heads that are internalized voices, maybe from adults who modeled those behaviors for us. And so it's not even so much that we're so I mean we are often worried about other people's judgments, but we internalize those protective voices to protect us from the pain of rejection or the pain of disappointment. And then we stop listening to the messages telling us, this brings me joy. We don't even notice it anymore. And often in workshops, I find people who say, You know, I can't even think of one thing that would bring me joy. Sometimes I'll ask the question, if you had a free afternoon, no obligations, no responsibilities, what would you most like to do? Like, what's something that would really bring you joy? And some people can't think of anything. And that's often a sign that those voices have become so loud. We've internalized those protective voices so deeply that we don't even, you know, that little joyful urge bubbles up and it just gets squashed so quickly that you can't even hear it. And so, so much of my work is about helping people reconnect to those joyful impulses. And your surroundings are a really low stakes way to do it because you don't have to worry so much about what other people think. It's Mm -hmm. just you and your environment. It's just you and the color. Like go to the paint store, pick out some color swatches, put them on your desk and just enjoy the experience of like playing with color. And that's a really, that's a low stakes thing that has very low judgment attached and you can build from there.
1: One of the most powerful things too, I thought about the TED Talk that you did was when you showed all these beautiful colors, right? And the, literally how incredible that made myself feel, I'm sure everybody watching. And then you showed this, like, look how beautiful this is, all these colors of pop, this abundance. But then why do we live in a world that looks like this? And then you shot over to pictures of a typical office um, of normal looking cities. And they look just so beautiful bland and dreary uh, and mundane. And there was just nothing to them. And it was so powerful because I could feel the shift in me, right? Go from seeing all the color, how great that made me feel, and then seeing the typical office and how that just literally brought down my energy levels and just brought down how I felt instantly. And Ingrid, I think about this, me and my wife talk about this, like, why aren't cars cooler colors? Totally. Like, why are there not more like yellow and teal and, and, and magento and like really beautiful colors? Why? And we were literally talking about this like a couple weeks ago. And then when we saw, when we were uh, watching the TED Talk, it just really brought that to light. It's like, that's kind of what we were talking about the other day. And it's like, why isn't the world filled with more color? Do you feel like, is there is there a specific reason why? Have we just not opened our minds to this? The understanding? Because I feel like you're kind of almost at like the forefront of us understanding more about how how much we can be impacted by literary color and those things around us. So do you, do you feel like there's a reason why in the world we are so bland in those certain things?
0: I think there are a few reasons, but it comes back to this idea that if joy is something that we judge to be childish, juvenile, um, then color and round shapes, bubbly shapes, and a lot of these aesthetics of joy are also by extension, because they're things that bring us joy, they get associated with being childish, with being juvenile. So when you go to a workplace, um, it has to look sort of serious and grown up. And I think one of the big design movements that codified that was the modernist movement because you had modernists coming in and saying that what what defined good design was restraint. What defined good design was not embellishment, was not all this decorative um, patterning. It was severe and minimal, and just materials and uh, no add, nothing added, right? Nothing, no extra colors. And I think one of the sort of founding texts of this movement was um, called "Ornament and Crime." Um, it was by a a designer a architect um adolf lowes. And Adolf Lowes um In this lecture, Ornament and Crime, he basically is drawing an equation between embellishment, all of these joyful and and he really took aim at a lot of indigenous craft traditions, the embellishment that's part of these indigenous craft traditions. So there's a kind of an implicit racism and kind of almost a colonialist perspective um, embedded in this, um, that those things are primitive and they're indulgent and restraint is the only kind of moral is like takes this moral high ground. And you kind of see this today where minimalism often has this like moral high ground um, where, you know, that is, is to be good is to be, Paired back and to um, to be you know gray and black and and rational and mm. um, and simple and if you happen to like a lot of color or pattern um, and it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be into material abundance but even if you just like sensorial abundance if you like color and you like texture and you like pattern that that's kind of wasteful or it's um, it's silly or it's not sophisticated. And so I think that's how we got here was we had this division between, um, you know, what's joyful is childish and juvenile and almost um, and self-indulgent. Uh, And then what is restrained is elevated and uh, smart and uh, Western and and all these things. So you have this dichotomy and it's persisted to this day. And I think where it's really especially damaging is when we look at places like hospitals, uh, we look at housing projects, homeless shelters, um, a lot of the public spaces that we build, both public institutions and then places specifically for people who are poor who are older. Nursing homes is another one who are ill those places tend to be designed without any joy. Uh, they tend to be designed in the most Spartan of ways. And I think, again, it has to do with this, um, some of the biases that we have against joy.
1: And uh, I think you talked about this in it too, there's numbers to prove that by putting these streaks of color or um, symmetrical shapes or things like that, that we know bring us joys that have actually had an impact on these kids at school or on nursing homes or things like that, correct?
0: Yes. For example, um, a study of workplaces showed that people working in more colorful work environments are more alert, confident, friendly, uh, and joyful than people working in drab spaces. Um, there are There's a, a great nonprofit called Public Color working in Um, underserved New York city school districts that goes in and transforms these schools with vibrant paint. And they hear from their school administrators that attendance improves, graffiti disappears and kids say they feel safer in these painted buildings. Mm. Um, A nursing home I visited in in Japan um, that did made changes like this found that uh, families spent more time visiting the residents After they made these changes. So a lot of these things affect behavior, they affect behavior on a really deep level, um, and it's often unconscious. So if you have families visiting uh, people in nursing homes longer, that improves their health and well being that improves their connectedness, uh, that might have positive outcomes for their dementia or Alzheimer's or other um, ailments. So you can see these knock-on effects um, just by changing one thing. It seems really superficial. It seems really trivial, but actually the impacts go so much deeper.
1: It's just like any, I think, I feel like this is so common. Anytime you think of like a nursery home or a hospital, at least I'll, I'll talk about my perspective. It's just like instant dread. I just see, kind of like white and gray and light blue of just dreariness, right? And like, not something that's welcoming or feels good. It It's like the place we want to avoid. Yes. And how can these people be, when you think about it like that, I'm like, how can these people be living in these places that we want to avoid? And that's such a good point where, or such a good uh, statistic about it is that people are showing up more and staying for longer when they go to nursing homes or hospitals or things like that, that are filled with color, like, there is grave importance in that, in the health of the people visiting and also the people there, their, their sense of joy, their sense of happiness. Um, because I'm a firm believer too, when we are in the vibration of joy more often and or in happiness or things like that, those positive uplifting feelings, we're going to live longer. Our body is more tuned, And it's there's research
0: that suggests that too. Exactly. I mean, it's not just a, uh, you know, there is research that suggests that the more we experience joy, it has physiological effects that are protective for our cardiovascular system. And that is meaningful. That's really mm-hmm. meaningful. Mm-hmm. I think another one um, that is particularly interesting to me is a study done in Vancouver with rainbow crosswalks and plain black and white crosswalks. They have people um, stand in plain crosswalks and then in rainbow crosswalks. And they ask them the question, if you dropped your wallet in this spot, how likely would you be to believe that it would be returned to you? And people are more likely to believe that they're gonna get their wallet back if they're standing in a rainbow crosswalk. Now, just the power of that to me, it's a measure of trust. So you are just, all we've changed is the color, but the way that you see the people around you is with greater trust. You actually believe that the people around you are are more 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 law abiding, more uh, more more honest, um, and more trustworthy when you are surrounded by color than when you're in a normal urban environment. This, to me, suggests we should be really thinking about some of these interventions um, to change the way that we view and relate to
1: each other. I wonder, I'm wondering like, why does it happen? Like if you see something colorful, is it because the joy it brings you that just makes you think about it in a more positive way? Do you know what I mean? Like if, yeah.
0: Yeah. So With color in particular, you know, one of the theories behind the reason why we find color so joyful has to do with the evolution of our color vision. Our color vision evolved in part to help our primate ancestors find ripe fruit and young leaves in the treetop canopy. Um, And these were rich sources of, of food and sugars. And even though we no longer rely on bright colors for energy, we don't have to sort of seek out bright color to find sources of food and nourishment. When we see bright color, it's almost like a vestigial signal of energy, vestigial signal of life. I think, and this is speculation, that when we are in environments that feel alive, we see bright color, they sort of send us the cues that they are rich, um, vibrant environments that makes us feel Safer, right? Because it makes it's it's it taps into those ancestral circuits that say we're surrounded by life, we're safe, we're not in a a desert, we're not you know going to run out of water, we're not going to run out of food. We have uh sort of a sense of life and sustenance around us. So I think it's a very primal feeling, um, that lushness, um, and that color give us. And I think it's, it's that reassurance. It's that very primal reassurance that makes us feel like, okay, this is a safe place. I can relax my guard. I don't have to distrust everyone around me. I'm not in so much competition, right? If you think you're in a desert um, and you imagine it's almost like you're a survivor, right. And you have to survive in that environment. You're thinking like, where am I going to find water? But if the environment feels alive, it's sort of this very primal calming.
1: Mm. Wow. Interesting. Wow. And Ingrid, where can people, so in life for anyone listening right now, where, I've, like, where can we find joy? And if we can't find it in a moment, how do we create that?
0: I love that you asked the question that way, because that's so often what I tell people is that I grew up believing joy was something you have to find. And in fact, it's something you can create, it's something mm-hmm. you can create for yourself and you can create it for others. Um, I really believe that joy is all around you. It's just a question of starting to look for it. Um, If you have a child in your life, if you have a pet in your life, if you have a garden in your life, if you have any nature in your life, um, if you have a bustling cityscape or a market, those are all places to go look for joy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are not finding joy when you go out and look for it, Um, you can create it in your home. And it starts with bringing some of these sensations in, starts with bringing a little bit more color into your life. I often say it can be as simple as the mug that you drink your coffee out of, you know, having a vibrant mug that sits on your desk all day. Um, Of course, we know that many office environments and people are starting to go back to the office uh, are not so joyful. So bringing in A colorful cushion for your desk. Um, it could be a plant, a little plant that you put on your desk. There are all sorts of small things that you can do, but I think it starts with that process of tuning in and saying, what, what is it that really brings me joy? And then starting to bring more of that into your life.
1: I I was literally just thinking that. I'm like, right, tapping into and really understanding around you what brings you joy. Because as you were saying, plants, like I have plants around me always because they just bring me joy. Right. right? And I'm grateful and lucky, I guess, like I've identified that as something that brings me joy without like knowing it, without even like really consciously very much thinking about it like I am right now.
0: You intuited Uh, it.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I
0: think a lot of people when they run across my work, that's their first response is I didn't know why I was so drawn to these things, but I've always been drawn to these things. And thank you for helping me validate that it's not superficial to buy myself flowers. And it's not silly that I want plants around me, that these things aren't trivial or frivolous, that they actually mean something.
1: That Literally, as you said that, I'm like, that just helped me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because there's been times too, I'm like, why do I? And it's, It's like we overcomplicate things so much. It's just because it brings us joy. It's really actually that simple. It is that simple. Right? But it's like, no, let's be for some other reason. Am I superficial? What is it? Or you know what I mean? But it's really just, it just makes us feel good in those moments. And there's nothing wrong with that. And trying to bring that into our life more so we can create more joy, like you're talking about. Amazing. Um, And Ingrid, I want to ask you about your book called Joyful. What are you hoping people will get out? Of uh, reading joyful,
0: my biggest hope for joyful was just to help people look at the world around them in a different way, mm-hmm. um, and get to in in joyful. I go through all of the ten aesthetics. Um, so I start with energy, which is all about color and light. We um, talk about transcendence, floating, and flying, um, and and in each of those ten aesthetics. I travel to places where those aesthetics are particularly prominent. And I look at the work of architects and designers who are doing interesting things with that aesthetic. So for example, in Japan, there's um a an apartment building by an artist and poet couple, uh, Arakawa and Gins, and they believe that they could use architecture to reverse aging. And so they used all these bright colors. Um, the floors slope. It's like the craziest apartment in the world. But I went and spent a night there and talk about you know what it is, to ha- what it means, what it feels like to have that kind of sensory overload, and try to give you a, a peek into what cutting edge designers and what scientists are saying about each of these different aesthetics and then some practical advice for how you can bring each of those into your life. So for me, what's really important about the book is that um, there are 10 aesthetics of joy. There isn't just one. So if color isn't your thing, that's totally fine, right? You might be someone who's drawn to freedom, to nature and open space. And I talk a lot about the evolutionary origins of why we're attracted to certain kinds of outdoor spaces and talk to landscape architectures, uh, architects, and talk to um and talk to gardeners about um constructing landscapes that feel good to you. Uh so. It doesn't, it's not one thing. Um, We all have different aesthetics we can tap into to create our own most joyful world. Um, And that's really, you know, what people find in the book is um, a way to sort of tap into a palette and create their own joy.
1: Awesome. Uh, And are you saying this more often in all your research, different organizations or companies or artists who are creating landscapes more geared towards joy, who are creating... um, Hospitals more geared towards joy. Are you seeing? The, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, um, the company in New York City before, uh, but are you seeing this kind of at a larger scale starting to happen?
0: I would say the the industry that asks me to speak most often is healthcare. Um, so that's exciting for me that yeah. healthcare organizations are really thinking about joy, are really trying to bring it into their organizations, their designs. Um, so that is is inspiring for me. I think especially after the the two and a half years we've been through feels really important um, that healthcare, healthcare workers need joy. It's not even just that patients need joy, healthcare workers deserve joy. They need it. Yes. And so, and then I think we're seeing, I'm seeing it a lot um, from employers because the employers are now realizing that if people are going to come to the office, there has to be a good reason, and it's different than it was in the past. And so I think employers are starting to ask, how do we make the office a place that's joyful for people, that people want to come? Because we no longer have the com- as much of the command and control structure where people had to come to the office or else. And so I think that's shifting. Um, I'd love to see it shift faster, but it is happening, and that's good news.
1: And are, do you feel like, are you seeing it in schools ever?
0: I am seeing it somewhat in schools. I think, uh, yes, definitely. There's definitely been a push there as well. Um, And I think teachers, that's another group that really deserves joy. I actually teach a course um, online on designing a joyful home. And it's been really interesting because I've had a number of teachers take that course and use it to create spaces for their students. So for example, a speech therapy teacher created this really joyful speech therapy oasis. And she said that... um, um, you know, now it's cool for kids to come to speech therapy. Like all the kids want to come to speech therapy and the kids who aren't in speech therapy want to come hang out in her room. Right. And that's such a difference from the way that it was before. So I think um, I'm sure, as with so many things in education, often it's the teachers who lead. Uh, we see these teachers go out of their own pockets to create experiences that are really joyful and, and meaningful and, nurturing for their students. Um, so I'd love to see it at the higher levels as well, but I'm definitely seeing it uh, from a grassroots teacher-led perspective.
1: I mean, honestly, I'm so I'm so grateful that you're opening the minds of so many people to this, right? The fact that you go talking to healthcare a lot, that you're helping people redecorate their homes. It's just, I'm so grateful that you are literally opening the world more to this because in asking... Of course. And like, in asking, like, do you see this happening more? It's like you're helping it happen so much more. Right. And it's almost like, listen, COVID was really hard on a lot of people. I'm always looking towards the positive. So, in my mind, it's like COVID kind of even in a way helped spark this a little bit more. Right. Because, like you said, before you had to go into the office, there was no other choice. But now we've realized through COVID that you can work from home, it still works and functions. Right, so when they want people to come into the office, now they got to be like, okay, cool, right? How can we create a place that feels that feels more joy filled? You know, yes. how can we create a place that's going to make people happier? Yes, and it's those things. It's literally something like COVID having to happen in order to bring more awareness to to this and make people change and shift a little bit to create a happier environment for their employees, which is a pretty fantastic thing.
0: I think that's true. I think one. When- One observation I have is that it seems like um, where people have economic power, there's more joy being created. And where people have less economic power, we're still stuck. Um, So the people who have to come to work regardless because they work, um, they're essential workers and they're not going to be able to have that kind of leverage Um, or they're working minimum wage jobs and um, the employ you know their employers uh, won't pay them a living wage and won't do anything to make their job conditions better. Um I think we have a long way to go mm. at in that sort of strata of society where and I think a lot of it has to do with this idea that we believe that joy is something you have to earn or deserve as opposed to something that is you know joy is a signal of thriving. It's a signal of a human being fully alive. And So joy in our surroundings is a way of sort of reinforcing that. It's a way of helping people to thrive. It has nothing to do with whether you earn it or deserve it, or whether you have a million dollars or a billion dollars, or whether you have $5, it should be completely disentangled. But because we believe that so much of our value in the society is what we've worked for, what we've earned um, and and how much money we have to show for it, we often treat people who don't have as much as undeserving of joy. And I think that is the biggest thing that needs to shift is a mentality shift before we're actually going to see um, bigger changes, and so it might seem trivial to put color in a in a public housing development, but it is not because it is sending a signal to people who live there that they matter, um, that they are not that they deserve more than just a cinder block box. Um, and so I think we need to start, and and it sends a message to the rest of society that those people matter. Um, so I think we need to start investing um, in in the joy in those places. Especially because it doesn't really cost anymore. It doesn't cost much more to paint something with color than it does with white paint. It's it's the the mentality that's the barrier, not actually the cost.
1: I was literally thinking that as you were saying, and I think that you nailed it. That as, because uh, I keep thinking, I'm like that world that you are helping create and showcase to people is clearly beneficial health wise in so many ways. And I keep getting stuck. I'm like, why haven't we made that shift? And it's okay. We're on the evolutionary course that we're on. It's Everything is fine. But I keep going back to why. And it really is the mentality of our society and civilization. So much of it, right? The fact that you need to earn in order to feel joy. Right. uh, That's that's like saying that out loud is insane.
0: Right? Isn't it insane? Yeah. Yeah. But we do that to ourselves. I mean, so many people, you know, there was always this, uh, I think it was, was it Mills who had the theory that, um, you know, we would, we would eventually not need to work so much because we would become so much more productive as a society that the average adult would only work like 15 hours a week or something. And of course we reached the date that he had forecast and, um, and we're working 10, you know, five times more than that. We're Mm -hmm. working so much more than that. Um, It doesn't matter how much productivity because we just feel like we need more, more, more. Um, And we feel like we did, you know, if you make leisure a condition of work, if you make joy a condition of work, then you're always gonna have to work to deserve or earn it. It's never going to be enough. And so that's why we get to the end of our to do list and we think, did I do enough? Did I do enough to deserve joy? Or did I work out enough to earn that Sunday? Or did I, you know, we're constantly making our joy conditional. And I think if there's one thing that I hope people take away from this is that um, your joy should not be conditional on anything, it isn't conditional. It's conditional on you being a human being who is alive and breathing today. You deserve joy. You're entitled to joy. It is not a luxury. Um, you're entitled to to find it and create it and make it for others.
1: Yes, and I really right just having that sort of a of a shift and literally the society and just our thought process around it. And the first thing I feel like in any sort of a change or shift, the first thing is the awareness of it. We have to be aware, right, that something is happening in order to change it. And it's so brilliant that you're helping you're helping people become aware of it Thank so that we can. Of course, so that we can then, okay, but all right, all right, this is happening, right? Like we're noticing it's actually bleak and bland. It's bringing down our feelings, our emotions. It's a very low vibrational feeling, right? Understanding that that is happening first. And now we know the key, we know the answer. And now that we're finally, well, I don't want to say finally, but now that we're more aware of it and we actually know the changes that need to be changed, now it's time, okay, for everyone to start shifting their thoughts and shifting the way that we start thinking about these things and just opening themselves up more to the idea of joy and how it can be created all around us.
0: What's powerful about the environment when we put it in the environment is it's like you do that once and you get to experience it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So if you're, I mean, random acts of kindness are important and beautiful and so joyful, right? Um, But you have to do each one over and over and over again. When you put something in the environment, that's joyful. When you plant flowers in your, you know, in your at your mailbox or in your you know in some little communal part of your neighborhood everyone who walks by gets that joy um and they get it over and over and over again so there are things that you can do to put it in the environment and then you get that reminder you are reminded of it and you're reminded it's important so that's why i always think putting it in the environment is an underrated way of creating joy because Uh, because you get to re-experience it over and over and over
1: again. Mm -hmm. Never thought about that either. Like I have these plants literally that make me happy every single day. And how nice is it that it's just there over and over? Ah, And I love that you just said too, like planting the garden and having people see it as they walk by. It's not just for you. You're creating joy every single day without actually having to be present there, giving your energy, doing something in order to create it. It's just... Yes. It's right. It's just you're infinite. putting
0: it out there and letting it ripple.
1: Yes.
0: And I mean you have to do the other stuff too. No question. You know, we yeah, still yeah. have to be putting <laughs> our energy out. And, you know, but right, right. Um, but uh, but if but it's a it's a way to scale your efforts. Yes. That's so simple.
1: That's I so think simple. it's so important to feel literally joy, because joy is a very high vibration. And when we're feeling joy, we're feeling positive, we're feeling love, we're feeling good. And when we're on the higher vibration, feeling joy, that's going to feed into the next thing that we do. And then the next thing and the next thing. So I love what you're doing because it's just opening up a whole nother world and perspective uh, on how we can experience and feel joy literally every single day. So thank you for what you're oh, doing. Oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, My yeah. goodness. Um, My goodness.
1: So good. And Ingrid, I want to ask you the question I ask every single guest in the podcast. It's like, My favorite question and a goal in my life is to have people think about this uh, every single day, if possible. So I'll just preface it as my goal in life with this podcast, uh, with Spread Love Movement, with me as a human, um, my goal is to help shift the collective consciousness of the planet. And this can absolutely happen together to a place that is more joy-filled, that's more uh, love, that is happier, that is more abundant. Uh, that's more empathetic towards each other, more accepting, uh, more forgiving of ourselves and each other. A consciousness that is more one, Essentially a consciousness that is filled with joy and love. So, how do you feel like uh, you, Ingrid, every single day, are helping contribute to the sort of a shift in consciousness?
0: I mean, my, I feel like my contribution is very small, but but my hope is that it's by giving people a sense of agency. Over their joy and connection to their joy, and recognizing that it's something that they can create for others too, mm. um, that they can put joy out into the world. It's not just something they have to wait for. Um, it's something that you can receive. Um, you can put yourself you can put yourself in the path of it, start creating opportunities for it, and then start really giving it to other people.
1: Mm, I love that. And Ingrid, you've helped me so much uh, during this episode, and I'm sure everybody listening that I want to just say to you and help you in this moment that you're what you're doing is not small. Thank you at all. You I know what I mean? That. Of course, and it's like I get it. It's like you're you, you sound like a beautifully a beautiful person, very humble, and just really just sweet and nice. and i I have a lot of love for you. and i I'll do that too. I'm like, well, my impact on my things is small because we want to be humble, right? We just want to kind of keep things even keeled and cool but I, and the reason why I'm saying this right now is because I I think about this and I learned this in myself. It's like, I'm diminishing who I am. I'm diminishing what I'm able to give to the world um, and what I'm able to create. And I know that could have been something just really tiny that you just said, but I just, I, I think self-talk and all those things just, the words that we say every single moment are important in the life that we create and, and what we can accomplish and things that we can do. And I just want to make it super clear that you are not doing anything in a small way. You oh, are opening you. the door to this incredible perspective of joy that is all around us all the time that we all kind of know of, but you're helping us tap into it more and more. I mean, you're you're helping people on a regular basis. You're doing speeches, you're doing podcasts, you're doing interviews. Like these things are... are monumental and the fact that you spent the last 10 years of your life helping change the world to a place that's more filled with joy that is huge
0: huge thank you that's that's meaningful to me i appreciate that well i'll say this joy itself is small these little moments of joy are small but they add up yes and so there's power in there so yeah, i think it you know even if to me sometimes my contribution feels small each person who's out there putting this into practice, finding joy and sharing it, it adds up to something. And it and I, I do believe, I do deeply believe that it has power.
1: I know. And honestly, I can tell in the way you talk about it that you know that about yourself. Yes. I know that was just like a quick little humble thing that you said, right? That was like no big deal. Um, but that's a, the cool thing. Like you are one person, Ingrid, and you are just expanding further and further and further and further like your knowledge and your reach um, and how you're able to help people, right? So like, because of you, I'm going to find joy in more places, right? People listening to this are going to find joy and joy in more places. When we find joy in more of those places, we are going to spread more joy. Cause that's just who we are in that moment. We're going to feel better. Our lives are going to be better. So they're just that ripple effect just continues to go and go.
0: Well, that brings me joy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes. Amazing. Uh, and Ingrid, before we, uh, we cut out, if you can just let people know where they can find you online on social media uh, so they can just tap into more joy. Sure.
0: I'm uh I'm at aestheticsofjoy.com. Um and that's where you can find all I have a lot of free resources on finding joy. So you can find all those there. Um like I have a guide, 50 ways to find joy. So um so if you want a, a quick start, a way to get going, um, all of that stuff you can find there. And then uh on Instagram, you can find me at Ingrid
1: Fatel. Awesome. Ingrid, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. For real, I like I genuinely, genuinely, really, really mean that. We need more joy in the world and you are a huge advocate for it, creating it so many places. So thank you for dedicating your life to create more joy in this world. It's so selfless. It's so beautiful. So thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you for creating this space to share these ideas and spread more love and more joy in the world. Thank you.
1: Of course. Everybody, thank you for being here. I, at the very least, hope that you're going to find just a little more joy today after listening to this conversation. Definitely go check out Ingrid. Uh, Thank you again for being here. We have so much love for all of you. Go find joy today. Go create it. It's there. Love you, and we'll see you next time.